Hello and welcome to The Lancet Podcast. Richard Lane with you here on Friday, July the 15th. This week I'm delighted to be joined by Pam Daz from The Lancet as it's a themed issue of The Lancet dated July the 16th to the 22nd. Pam, before we go into some of the details of the HIV content in the issue, I think we need a bit of context. We cover HIV extensively in The Lancet journals and in our podcasts. It's a fast-moving area briefly summarise where you think we are, particularly ahead of the important IAS meeting next week in Rome. Yes, it's been a very interesting year in the HIV field and this year is particularly important. The conference opens shortly after two big milestones in the history of AIDS and on the cusp of a number of very exciting scientific discoveries. So first of all, this is the third decade of the response to HIV, the 30th anniversary. So this is 30 years ago when US health agencies began monitoring unusual clusters of diseases which were later identified as the first cases of AIDS. And two weeks after that, world leaders met in New York for the 2011 UN General Assembly high-level meeting on AIDS, known as UNGUS 2011. Now, this meeting marked 10 years since the adoption of the UNGUS Declaration of Commitment of HIV-AIDS. And at this event, uh, world leaders committed to new global targets, the first one being to have 15 million people on treatment by 2015, which is an ambitious but should be an attainable goal. And the second one, a new global target to eliminate paediatric HIV infections by 2015. In terms of the HIV epidemic, so the good news is that the global rate of new infections is declining. The latest UNAIDS report shows nearly 25% decline between 2001 and 2002. And nine, so this is based on modelling estimates. 6.6 million people on antiretrovirals at the end of 2010, which is nearly a 22 fold increase since 2001. But on the other hand, there are still 33 million people who are living with HIV. Half of them don't know that they've been infected. And it's still estimated that there are 2.6 million new infections. So we still have a long way to go. Thanks very much, Pam. Some great context there. Moving to the content of the journal. In research, we publish two important uh, trials, don't we? Phase three trials. Just briefly mention those. Yes, so we have two phase three randomised trials called ECHO and THRIVE, which compare the new non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor, real pivarine, with the already used efavirenz in treatment-naive patients. These are patients who've not been treated with uh, antiretrovirals before. So what the trials both find is that rilpivirine, when used in combination regimens, is just as safe and effective as efavirenz, when also used in combination regimens. And it's an important finding, Pam, isn't it, because the side effect profiles seem to be more favourable with this new drug. Yes, that's right. And so This means that the drug will be a valuable treatment option for this patient population and it basically expands the patient choice so the patient has a better chance of finding a drug that's good for them. Indeed. There's also in the research section, I think it's a controversial issue, is it Pam? And this concerns the issue of concurrent partners and how that fuels the HIV epidemic. Yes, a hugely contentious area is the role of concurrency as a driver in the HIV epidemic, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. The data 
on the evidence on both sides of the debate has been limited by by flaws. But this study now adds to that evidence and it will no doubt ignite further discussion in the correspondence pages of our journal. But basically the authors use a very sophisticated geographical approach to analyse data from repeated population-based surveys in an area of KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa. Now this is a very hyper-endemic area which has a high prevalence of HIV. And the authors assess whether the multiple concurrent partnerships in men are an important driver of HIV incidence in this population. And what they find is that it's actually the mean number of lifetime partners and not multiple concurrent partnerships which are associated with an increase in risk of HIV acquisition. Now to be clear, the authors are not saying that concurrency doesn't have a role. Indeed, they actually point out that concurrency might have had a role earlier in the epidemic when the disease was concentrated mainly in high-risk groups. So the bottom line is that concurrency and multiple partners probably have some role to play at different stages of the epidemic. Importantly, the public health message here is to reduce the number of partners, concurrent or otherwise. And just to finish off on on research, Pam, again, briefly if you would, Malawi gets mentioned and it's very interesting, isn't it? Some of the uh, HIV practicalities coming out of that sub-Saharan African country. One intervention that remains slow to implement is prevention of mother-to-child transmission. The goal of eliminating paediatric infections in certain settings is hindered by WHO guidelines, which specify that you need CD4 cell count testing to inform uptake of prevention of mother-to-child transmission. So in the absence of these facilities, Malawi has chosen to offer all HIV-infected pregnant women lifelong antiretroviral therapy. Now that's quite incredible. I mean, Malawi really should be commended for taking such a public health approach. It's so far been untried and tested in the continent and so if successful will serve as a very important model for the region. Indeed. We should just mention, of course, very importantly, Pam, there is a review concerning HIV prevention and HIV prevention was the topic of the 2008 Lancet HIV series. Just tell us about that, the context here and this review and its relevance to the the upcoming Rome meeting. Well, that's right. A very prominent focus at the meeting, I'm sure, which will overshadow all other areas in HIV, is on biomedical prevention. It is interesting because back in 2008, the Lancet series on HIV prevention highlighted the woeful attention given to prevention efforts. But in the last few years, we have come a long way. The recent reinvigoration of prevention, especially by antiretroviral-based prevention trials, and these are pre-prophylaxis trials to prevent infection and post-prophylaxis trials to prevent transmission, have completely transformed the prevention landscape. People are now in the field seeing antiretroviral-based prevention as the big game-changer that has the potential to change the course of the epidemic in a huge way. Not only does antiretroviral therapy stop people from dying, but it also prevents transmission of HIV to women, men and children. So almost exactly one year ago, it was shown in Vienna at the IAS World AIDS meeting that antiretrovirals can prevent heterosexual acquisition of HIV in women, the CAPRISA 004 trial. In the last year, we've had a number of trials, including IPREX, HPTN 052, the not-so-good-news trial FEMPREP, which is discussed in this week's issue. And all these trials have shown some very interesting results, which 
point to the prevention benefits accruing every day as a result of the 6.6 million people currently on antiretroviral drugs as well. And relevant to this is a review by Nancy Padian and colleagues who were one of the original authors on the Lancet series on HIV prevention. And she reviews the developments in HIV prevention and emphasises the urgent need now for implementation science and establishing the population level effect of combination prevention. So basically we need to find the right combination of approaches that will be most effective in terms of moving the field now forward. But I'd like to add one of the biggest challenges now facing the HIV community is scaling up of access to treatment, especially at a time of financial constraint. A lot of donors are pulling out of HIV AIDS funding. Now, Treatment 2.0, which is uh, a very unique initiative led by WHO and UNAIDS, is hopefully going to address that problem. What they have set out is a framework whereby the need for innovation and efficiency gains in HIV programs, and these include things like optimising drug regimens, making drugs easier to take, that need less monitoring, less testing, simplification of diagnosis, adapting delivery systems, so that we can still enable the sustained universal access to HIV treatment for those who need it, as well as maximising the preventive benefits of antiretroviral therapy. And Richard, can I just say, hot off the press, breakthrough results were announced today, which add even more good news uh, in terms of antiretroviral-based prevention. Today, the results of two PrEP studies, pre-exposure prophylactic studies, were announced. One of them, the Partners PrEP study, announced that its Independent Data and Safety Monitoring Board had recommended, after review of the study data, that the study results be publicly reported and the use of placebo, which was in the trial, discontinued because of clear demonstration of HIV protection due to pre-exposure prophylaxis. So both these studies showed that men and women randomised to oral antiretrovirals, tenofovir or Trivada, were significantly less likely to acquire HIV compared to people receiving placebo. So the first trial, the Partners in Prevention, led by teams in Uganda and Kenya, evaluated oral PrEP in 4,758 discordant couples. These are couples where one of the couple is infected and the other is not. The second trial, the Botswana study, led by the US CDC, evaluated whether oral Trivada reduced the incidence of HIV among 1,200 men and women. And basically, the results revealed that a daily antiretroviral tablet taken by people who do not have HIV infection can reduce their risk of acquiring HIV by up to 73%. Now, that's quite astonishing. That is extraordinary, Pam, and that could take the whole movement, the HIV movement, in a completely different direction. I guess that's going to be discussed in, at the Rome meeting. That's absolutely right. I think these new results take the whole concept of antiretroviral-based prevention to a brand new level. It raises several critical new questions and throws up huge new policy and implementation challenges that I'm sure will be the focus of the Rome meeting. Great. Well, many thanks indeed, Pam. That was an excellent overview, not just of the HIV content in the July the 16th to 22nd issue of The Lancet, but a pretty good, I think, assessment of, of where we are 30 years on from the first news about HIV and ahead of the upcoming Rome meeting. So many thanks to Pam and to you all for listening. See you next time.